Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Paul's letter to the Colossians, and you'll find this on page 984. This morning we're looking at verses 13 through 15, but we'll begin our reading back at verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, and beginning our reading at verse 6. This is God's word. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were uh, were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Christianity is a death-to-life religion. Um, At the heart of Christianity is a message of death giving way to life. Uh, That when you think about uh, what it is that Christians believe, we believe that Jesus was crucified, that he died. But then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. That Jesus, who was dead, was made alive. That the resurrection conquers death. And so that is at the very center of our beliefs. But we can also think about the movement from death to life, not just with reference to Jesus, but with reference to the the working of God in an individual's life, in the life of a believer. And that's something that Paul has been accenting in his letter to the Colossians. You notice in in our verses this morning that Paul uses those concepts of movement from death to life. In verse 13, he says that you were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But then he goes on to say, but you were made alive. God made you alive together with Christ. And so Paul actually describes the Christian life as a transformation. It is a transformation from death to life. You were dead, but now you've been made alive by God. And so when we think about what Paul is actually describing when he describes a Christian, it is something radical. It is a change that has overcome, a change of transformation, one that can be compared from death to life. 
But when you think about that, if you think about that from the vantage point of faith, you might start to wonder what, what really does it look like? What is it, what is it like for someone to be a Christian? What kind of transformation, what kind of uh, change accounts for the language that Paul is using? How, how does a Christian live and how are they different from how they were before they were a Christian? Does it make any difference in their life? Is there any real change? And in Colossians here, Paul has been trying to unpack how that change realizes itself. How you see that change working itself out by the, the work of God's grace in a person's life. Paul has already mentioned some of it, but this morning uh, we want to look at it uh, even further. But the other thing that's important as we come back to Colossians to notice is, is that Paul keeps using a phrase over and over again. And you know that when someone repeats themselves, that it's either important to them or at least they want it to be realized as important for you to realize as well. And Paul is doing that. This is something that is important. And so he keeps stressing it. It's the phrase in him. That everything that Paul is saying here in Colossians 2 is on the, on the condition on, with reference to their union with Christ. That because of the connection they have with Jesus, it brings a transformation of life. And so you remember that earlier he said, just as you have received Christ, just as you have come to believe in Jesus, now Paul says, now you must walk with him. You must walk in him. Your way of life now is guided by the will of the Lord Jesus. The Christian life then lives out of a union, out of a, a common bond with the will of Jesus. They go where he would direct them. The Christian life is not only lived by walking in Christ, but by being built up in him. Paul has this idea that all of life now is lived with reference to Christ, that Everything is built on the foundation of what one has come to understand about Jesus. And so everything else holds on that basis. So he says, you must walk in Christ. You are to be built up in Christ. You are to find the fullness in Christ. That he is a sufficient savior. That everything that you need is ultimately found with reference to Jesus. And so Paul uses this language over and over again, not to just repeat himself, but to develop what he is arguing. The Christian life is one that is lived with reference to Jesus. It is lived on the basis of Jesus, in dependence on Jesus, to the glory of Jesus. That is what captures the Christian life. But we said that the Christian life is really a movement from death to life. What does Paul mean by that? Last time we began to unpack that because we looked at this idea of circumcision. And we highlighted that circumcision wasn't just an external ceremony. It wasn't just something that people did. It was a spiritual meaning attached to it. Circumcision itself was a picture of death to life. 
It was a, a bloody rite, a procedure that involved blood, the cutting off of the foreskin of the male reproductive organ. But in doing that, it pointed not just to something outward, it pointed to something inward. There needed to be a cutting off in the inward recesses of the person. Just as part of them was to be cut off as they were set apart to the Lord, there was to be a cutting off of the sinful nature. What Moses called their stubborn hearts. There was to be an inward change that matched the outward change. There was to be an inward transformation just as there was an outward procedure being done. So circumcision communicated a death to one's old way of life, one's former life of stubbornness towards God. But it also, we said, communicated life. And we communicated that by looking at how in Deuteronomy 30, it said the Lord would circumcise your hearts that you might love the Lord and live. The process of cutting off their sinful nature was is that they would know God and enjoy him. That is life. And so as we talk about this language of a Christian, what is a Christian? Paul says here in verses 13 and following, a Christian is someone who was dead and has been made alive. A Christian who was dead in their sins and made alive by God's grace in Jesus. And we want to continue to see how Paul is developing that line of thought of being made alive. A Christian is someone who has come to life. And the old way of life has been cut off. It has died. Paul has already mentioned that with circumcision. Their former sinful nature has been cut off. But we want to come again and look at these verses and to see how he's continuing to unpack that uh, by seeing that God is a God who gives life in Christ, that we are to live uh, uh, looking to the Lord Jesus ourselves. And then we will be able to understand what change actually does take place in a believer's life. If we're going to use language of dead and being made alive, where do I actually see that change? What kind of change accounts for that language that Paul is using? And we want to think about these two verse, these verses and two thoughts this morning. We want to think about the cancellation of the record of debt and the conquering of the rulers and the authorities. The death comes by canceling the record of debt and the cancellation of the power of the rulers and the authorities. First, uh, Paul mentions we are made alive in Christ by the cancellation of the record of death. There in verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Uh, Paul uses uh, very graphic language. You were dead. What is characteristic of someone that is dead? They are unresponsive. They cannot respond. They don't have the ability to respond. 
Sometimes we use this language even with electronic devices, don't we? We might be using our cell phone or our tablet. Uh, we might be using uh, a, a video game system. But we're using something electronic and the battery charge dies. And then we say, it's dead. And what we mean by that is, is that when I push on the buttons, when I try it to compute something, it does not respond. It cannot respond. But what Paul is saying is, is that by nature, we are like that dead device. We are unresponsive. We cannot function as we were made to function. That we are unable to respond to God's summons. We're unable to respond to God's message to us. And this is uh, uh, our, our fallenness. But Paul adds to that, he says, we were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh. Paul's not just talking about an outward ritual here. He's talking about what circumcision meant. To be circumcised meant that you belonged to God. You were part of the people of God. To be uncircumcised then in the Old Covenant meant that you were estranged from God. You were alienated from God. And that's what Paul is getting at. That by nature, we are unable to respond to God. And we're estranged from God in our sins. You remember earlier in chapter 1, he described our fallen condition in those very words. He says, and at one time, you once were alienated and hostile in mind. It wasn't simply ignorance. It was a, a rejection, a pushing back against God. And he says, and in doing evil deeds. What of all of those designations have in common? being hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, uncircumcised in our hearts, uh, and of uh, being dead in our sins. They all have reference to being under the governance of sin's power. They all have with reference to being under the dominion of sin, living with reference to sin. And so here, Paul is describing something of our, 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 our state by nature. We are those who are governed by sin and helpless to escape from it. But Paul then goes on to depict uh, God's grace. You were dead and God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven all our trespasses. And you notice that Paul again uses this language of union with Christ. How does this change happen? It happens on the basis of one's connection with Jesus. As long as we're dead in our sins, we remain dead until we are joined with Christ and then we are made alive. Separated from Christ, we remain hostile towards God. United to Christ, we are now delighting in God and inclined towards him. But notice how he describes this cancellation of debt. He says, God has forgiven us all our trespasses. Just slow down and listen to what Paul is saying. God has forgiven us all our, uh, you were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God has made us alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Not just the lesser sins, not what some would say the venial sins, whatever we would account as the, the lesser sins, the less serious sins, but 
Paul says God has forgiven us all our sins. He doesn't say God has forgiven us our our present sins. He says God has forgiven us all of our sins, our past sins, our present sins, and even our future sins. God has forgiven us all our sins. And how does he do that? He does it by uh, uh, forgiving them in the Lord Jesus. He does it by canceling the record of debt that was against us with its legal demands. What does it mean for God to cancel that record of debt? It doesn't mean that God ignores it. To cancel it means to wipe it away. One of the uh, most satisfying things, uh, I think, uh, is a whiteboard. Uh, You see whiteboards all over the place. If you go to a hospital, you see the nurses. They have their whiteboards. They're constantly filling it with information. You go to a school, you see a teacher working on a whiteboard. Uh, You go to a business, there's an office meeting happening. One of the managers is using a whiteboard. They're filling it with information. But then, with a simple spray and a cloth, someone can go up and wipe off all that information. With a quick spray and a wipe, all that information is gone, and all you're left with is a whiteboard. There's no stain. There's no remnant. There's no trace. It's all done away. And here, Paul is celebrating the fact that the record of debt that we have incurred has been wiped away. Again, in the ancient world, you would have what we would call as an IOU, a certificate of indebtedness. And if you were indebted to another person, you would actually write out a certificate explaining what you owe to that individual. You would give them the certificate, highlighting that you know of your indebtedness to them. And here, the Bible is teaching us that we have a natural indebtedness towards God. We owe him obedience, but we have We have failed to honor the Lord, to obey his will. We are indebted to him. We owe him. And yet the Bible is also highlighting that God is a God who wipes away that record of debt. He wipes away the record of debt so that it's no longer a problem. But how does God wipe that away? Again, it's not simply by ignoring it. It says that he cancels the record of debt against us. In verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He he cancels it not by ignoring it, but by taking it away. He cancels it by sending it away, by setting it aside. And then Paul goes on to say, by nailing it to the cross. That record of debt, our sins, Paul says was nailed to the cross. And you know what Paul is inferring there. That in history there was no record of our debts that were ever uh, nailed publicly to a, a, a board for others to see. If there was, There would no doubt be things on that record that we would all blush at if others knew the things that you have said and the things that you have done. But 
what Paul celebrates is, is that record of debt was nailed to the cross. That really Jesus was nailed to the cross. And that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was bearing the sins of his people as their representative. The way in which God wipes away sin is by having the debt paid by another. And so Paul can celebrate that our debt was nailed to the cross because that's what Jesus was doing as a substitute. How is it that God can forgive? It's when someone else pays the penalty of sin. You think about when Jesus was nailed to the cross, you remember that Pilate had uh, a title placed over the head of Jesus. There was the charge that was placed against Jesus. That charge was a public thing. It was meant to deter others from enacting the same kind of event. So others wouldn't think that this is uh, a good route to follow. What was the charge that was placed against Jesus? This is the king of the Jews. What did Pilate want to convey? If anyone wants to stand up as a king, this is the end that they will meet. But what did that title actually signify? Here is one who stands as a representative of the people of God. That as the people's representative, he is bearing their consequences. And so Paul can celebrate the fact that when Jesus is crucified, he is being crucified as a substitute in order to satisfy the debt of sin. And so here Paul is actually helping us understand how to deal with our, our past, but also with our shame. That, that at the end of the day, instead of simply ignoring the wrongs we have done, we can know the forgiveness of sins because Jesus came to pay that debt, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the record of their debt has been wiped away. The whiteboard is clean. And so when Paul is telling these Christians, you've moved from death to life, when you come to believe in Jesus, it's a transformation, a transformation that can only be compared to no life to life. And these Christians are wondering to themselves, what exactly has changed? Paul can say, one thing that has changed is your record before God. Whereas before you had a record of indebtedness plaguing you of all your failings, in Christ, that indebtedness is gone. It has been wiped away and it will never condemn you again. There is a great transformation that comes, and it helps us then to face our sins. But Paul goes on then not only to talk about how Christ has conquered the debt of our sins, again, breaking off the grip of the past, but he talks about how we've been made alive by Christ's conquering of the rulers. In verse 15, Paul goes on and he says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities by putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It is not only the record of debt, the power, but the power of sin that is dealt with at the cross. Uh, it was the act that brought victory over uh, the evil rulers and the authorities. 
the rulers and the authorities that Paul is talking about here is uh, the dark spirits uh, about Satan's kingdom. Uh, it is the same rulers and authorities that Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The rulers and authorities, then, are the evil powers and dark spirits that are at war against the Lord and his purposes. The work of the cross... Jesus said the work of the cross was to bind the strong man. And what Jesus does uh, through his sacrifice is actually achieving a great victory over uh, Satan and his kingdom. That Jesus came to bind the strong man, Paul explains to have been accomplished through uh, the cross where he defeats Satan and his kingdom. But you notice that Paul uses three different designations here to describe this conquering. He describes it as disarming the rulers, putting them to open shame, and then triumphing over them. And he's using this imagery from the ancient world um, of disarming the rulers. Literally, you could say stripping the rulers. Uh, and by that, he has this image of in the ancient world when there would be two warring factions, the conquering army would disarm or strip down the defeated army, stripping them of their weaponry so that they no longer are what? Perceived as a threat. They are powerless now without their weapons. They don't have the same position of a threat that they once held because they have been defeated. But more than that, not only are they disarmed of their weaponry, they are also put to open shame. They are presented publicly to others so that others will see the defeated army in their state of defeat. So that it is apparent to all that this army is no longer a threat. They have been defeated. As uh, uh, Paul is explaining this, the cross achieved the same outcome with respect to Satan's kingdom. Because the satanic power that formerly was over people uh, through sin's dominance has been broken through the victory of the cross. Jesus came to bring victory over sin. Jesus came to show that there is forgiveness for sin. That, that despair and self-condemnation are not the only conclusions that we can draw. We can face our sin and be healed through the cross, through the work of the Lord Jesus. And so here uh, is a celebration that Christ's work is a work of victory. That last designation, triumphing over them, uh, is a, a word that can carry the idea of conquering or even leading in triumphal procession. Again, the idea of leading the defeated army uh, in a parade uh, where, one, uh, where the conquering general uh, leads back uh, uh, the, the, de the defeated foes. Uh, so here, through the cross and resurrection, Christ has not only stripped the rulers of their strength, but their defeat is publicly made known. The late John Stott uh, points out that the binding of the dragon for a thousand years coincides with the binding of the strong man that took place at the cross. We can affirm that there are dark spirits. We can affirm that there, are, there is a demonic realm. 
but we can also affirm that the demonic has been conquered. We don't live in fear of evil spirits. We don't live in fear of Satan himself. We recognize that his stronghold has been broken and that one day it will ultimately be destroyed. What does all of this have to do with the Christian life? It helps us with, with relating to sin. We can live our lives, and if you're sitting here as someone who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus, we can still be plagued by that question, what has really changed? What really accounts for Paul's language of death to life? Have I really become a Christian if sin is still part of my story? Shouldn't sin be gone? But what Paul is doing here is Paul is helping us understand how to relate with sin. That when we begin with our union with Christ, then we can face sin rightly. That while sin will still be part of the Christian's experience, we will not be sinless in this life. We will not be perfect. Neither will we be crushed by it. And neither do we become cynical to it because we realize there has been a real change. What is the real change? Paul said, in Christ you have been circumcised. The sinful nature has been broken off. A new nature has dawned, a desire for the glory of God, a real change from death to life. There has been a real change because the record of debt has been wiped away. Our past no longer condemns us. Our future no longer is a dread to us. In Christ, we are declared righteous, clothed with a pure vestment. We have a new hope. But then thirdly, not only do we have a new uh, record before God, but we have a victory in the Lord Jesus. Sin continues to be part of the Christian's life, but its relation is different. Formerly, they lived under the dominion of sin. Now, the Christian faces the destruction of sin. It no longer has the same governance over them that it once did. Now, it's more of a pestering uh, invader. It is now something that simply uh, has to be done away with. But they know where they stand with reference to sin because they know where they stand with reference to Christ. And so really, as we think about sin, it comes back to where are you standing with reference to Jesus? When Paul wrote to Christ, when John wrote to Christians in the first century, he wanted them to know where they stood on the basis of their union with Christ. And so when John wrote, he wrote to young men and he says, I want you to know, I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Not that you will overcome the evil one. You already have. You have conquered in the blood of the lamb. Sin has lost its stronghold. Sin has lost its curse. Sin has lost its grip on you. That by union with Christ, you are aligned with his kingdom, even as you await the destruction of Satan's kingdom. And so the Christian lives not 
not a defeated mindset, not in despair because of sin, but they live confident of the victory that is in Christ. That's why when you look in the Bible, half of the occurrences of the language of victory are found in the book of Revelation. Because we know victory is certain. We know what was achieved at the cross, and we know that Christ will come again. So as we think about this question, how exactly can we speak of death to life? What actually changes when a person becomes a Christian? Paul says it's a, it's a radical change because they're no longer condemned by sin. Through faith in Christ, the record of debt has been wiped away. By faith in Christ, they're no longer under condemnation. They're transported from a kingdom that has been defeated into a kingdom that is secure and in which they can have life. We can then live then with a celebration that there is victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about Paul's words, that they would not only search us as to what it is that we are doing with Christ, but we pray, Lord, they would stabilize us, that we would be able to face sin and not be crushed, that we would be able to face sin and not to become cynical. We pray, Lord, that we would celebrate instead the victory that is in Christ and the cancellation of the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.